This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is The Bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My sponsors for season three of One for the Road are the amazing Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. The boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all rock sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drinks. My guest today on One For The Road is the queen of sobriety. She is the diva of discovery. And she is adored by millions all over the world. She is the... Oh, okay. Let's get on with it. Here she is, the lovely Millie Gooch. So, young Millie Gooch, how the devil are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. I've just got over this super cold business. We had to cancel last week's podcast, didn't we? Because um, yeah. I sounded like a Dalek. So... Yeah, you sent me a voice there and I was like, you do sound rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So I remember when I first met you, and I'm not sure if you remember, but I was at the Mindful Drinking Festival and you walked past me and it was like seeing a celebrity. <laughs> I would say that. It's like, no, is that that girl from Sober Girl Society, Millie Good? I went, hello, Millie. <laughs> and you went, 
hello, Dave, all right? And we had a little bit of a chat and you were busy doing other bits and pieces. And that's the first time we met. Uh, and that was uh, that was back in 2019 now in the summer, I think. Yeah, it would have been a while ago now because they haven't held a mindful drinking festival for a while, which I'm very upset about. Well, they've done online, but not in person. Yeah, well, we had the one at the brewery, didn't we? The Truman yeah. Brewery. Uh, and I think you did a talk there and I did a talk as well. And yeah, it's it's been a rough time, hasn't it? Because of lockdown and, and things. I think half of my sobriety has been in lockdown. But I hadn't really found that a challenge, to be honest. But what I did realise from that was how difficult I would have found it if I was drinking. Yeah, I think most people, whether in a good way or a bad way, their relationship has changed over lockdown. I think for a lot of people, it's given them food for thought. But I I completely agree. I'm so glad that I was not drinking through it because I think that that is a coping mechanism that I probably really would have turned to. Mm, Because I think I was drinking quite a bit more than you, not that it's competition, but I was (laughs) finding alcohol and that as well, you know. So it would have been me trying to manage getting the alcohol each day when the supermarkets were shut and, you know, all this. I'm just so grateful that I gave up when I did. So how did your drinking start? Because I was 14, but I think it was a bit older, wasn't you? Yeah, I was. So weirdly, I didn't really start drinking until I was like 18, um, a bit towards the end of being 17. But then I went off to uni and I was kind of, yeah, pretty much a nothing drinker before I went to uni. And then when I went to uni, it was almost expected. Like there wasn't even a question of like, oh, am I going to drink at uni? Like I remember we got given like a freshers pack on arrival and there was like a Jaeger bomb shop glass and it was like a freshers pub crawl like absolutely everything was just centered around booze and cheap booze at that and I didn't have much money when I went to uni so I got like three different jobs I like flyed outside one club I did like I worked in a shop um, in a shop bar so it was like a bar that exclusively did shots Um, And then I worked in another bar dancing on tables and got paid in alcohol. I did get money as well, but they used to ply us with booze. So I went from this like absolute nothing drinker to like a four or five night a week binge drinker. And really, that's how it all started. Yeah, I I mean, um, I remember you're too young, but um, I've spoken about this before that at your age, there were 18 to 30 holidays and it was all aimed around getting absolutely trashed and you used to get drunk on the coach uh, and they used to pour these huge like bottles of booze down you on the beach you'd stand there like a pelican with the (laughs) whatever concoction it was it was a mixture of stuff yeah and I remember that I in the afternoon sunstroke as well because we're all dehydrated it was like in Greece somewhere 90 degrees drinking like neat spirit but all mixed together with like rum vodka and stuff Uh, and then just laying on the beach vomiting everywhere to get back on the boat and and it's actually really dangerous isn't it yeah it's sad as well like I it's when I was about must be about 23 24 I went traveling to Thailand for three weeks with some of my friends And when I tell you I spent 95% of it either drunk or hungover, and I look back now and I'm like, I didn't see any of the culture, I didn't do anything, I just spent the whole time either really drunk or hungover, and we went to like... I remember we went to like the full moon party and it was meant to be this like amazing spectacle but all it was was just people like drinking buckets of mixed spirits and then just being violently sick on the beach and when I look back now I'm like oh it's such a waste of a holiday. Yeah I know I I was chatting to a guy yesterday he's only 25 and I really want you to 
talked to him. He's fantastic, honestly. His name's Charlie, and he's so wise for his years, you know. And um, he's travelled around Thailand, and she lives in Australia now. But what he says about seeing the world at a young age is so important because quite often we drink it away, don't we? The trouble is with me, I carried on till I was 50. (laughs) So I've got a lot of making up to do. But so through your uni days, did that affect all your studying, your exams? I don't think it did until probably like third year. So especially with uni, your first year doesn't actually count. So your second year is worth 40%, your third year is worth 60%. So your first year is just like, right, settle in. So I did skip loads of lectures, loads of seminars, but in the first year, it just didn't count. So everyone kind of had the same mentality. And I think at that point, my drinking had just started. So I was I was just beginning, really. So it, it didn't really affect anything. But then it, when it got to third year, like a lot of my friends really like buckled down with their studies. And I was like, no, I just want to go out all the time and get drunk. And if they didn't want to go out and get drunk with me, then I'd go to work. And everyone there would work, be working in a bar. So they'd want to get pissed afterwards. So by third year, it definitely started taking a toll. I just scraped a 2-1, but I think I could have done a lot better if I hadn't been drinking, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, you did well, really. Because, you know, I was studying for um, a course. I was um, learning to be a counsellor. And I used to take my homework to the pub thinking it was, you know, I'd set the table out and look all professional and then go and get myself a pint of Peroni, sit down. Four pints later, I'd be writing this 1,500-word piece. And then at the end of it, I was seven, eight pints in. And now I press send. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I've absolutely nailed that in my own way. Yeah. I've put a real spin on that. And I believed that I was this huge philosopher bloke. And I would go into college on the Thursday and they would look at me and say, what was that? (laughs) Yeah, just nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. Yeah. But I I believed I was a genius and it just goes to show what the booze does. So, yeah. So interestingly, mine wasn't. I don't think it was as affected by the alcohol my work, but definitely like the hangovers. I didn't yeah. used to like write or work drunk, but I was always hungover. So if I turned up to a lecture, I wasn't paying attention. If I wrote an essay, it was very half-assed attempt. Like it was a lot of the hangovers that did me in. Yeah. So when when you um, left uni, where did you go from there? So I went to work in PR first of all, and then journalism, and they are both very boozy careers. So I worked for like a lot of. Uh, you know some of the PR companies had booze brands so we would have like free bar Friday and when I was interning so when I first started you didn't really there's a lot of laws now about how you get paid as an intern but back then it was like you just got your like travel expenses paid and everything was working for free so they used to really ply you with alcohol as like a great incentive and you know when you aren't earning any money you're like this is great free booze so I would do stupid things like stay out on a Tuesday night and then end up in Dover because I was trying to get my train home and I'd fall asleep on the train and yeah just created chaos really for like the next five or so years yeah but you know you say I was in that boozy career most people I talk to relate to their careers as boozy yeah yeah, it is true, actually. I always say this, and then someone will say, oh, well, I work in finance, and that's really boozy. And then people will be like, I'm a doctor, and that's really boozy. And you're I like, know. oh, wow, so every job is boozy. I know. And uh, something I heard the other day that was quite disturbing, really, it was about uh, a situation where a guy wasn't drinking, 
And because they didn't go to the, he didn't go to the pub. The guy that did go to the pub um, was obviously favoured uh, yeah. a lot of the positions. So it's quite discriminative, really, as well, isn't it? That you, you get looked as, you know, what not one of the boys or one of the lads, and you're boring, and that's shocking, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit like, um, do you watch Friends? Well, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, so you know that episode where, like, Rachel isn't smoking and everyone else in the office smokes, and then, like, the other girl gets the promotion and the trip yeah. away because she doesn't smoke? It's very like that. I think it's a lot of the kind of missed opportunities that will go against you just because you don't drink, which is so wrong. I know. that That's almost like what we talk about a lot now, sober shaming, and I have to hold my hands up, and I think most people will that they've done it. Have you? Oh, yeah. I think all sober people are ex-sober shamers. But, I mean, I can look at it now in a really good way when people do it to me. And to be honest, it's quite rare now. But when it did used to happen at the start, I used to really think about how I was in that situation and think, okay, well, the reasons I did it is because I wanted to be everyone, like I wanted everyone else to be as drunk as me so they didn't notice how drunk I was. I wanted to make sure that they were drunk so that they would stay out until, you know, the last minute with me. Uh, it's so many reasons why I sober shame so I can kind of put myself in in that boat now and understand why people do it but it doesn't make it right no it doesn't make it right but I, I get you there because I think a lot of it was my own shame that I, I mean I remember um, looking at this couple and um, he had a orange juice and she had a cup of tea and, and I said something to myself like why are they even in a pub just go <laughs> to the, you know but I think some part of that was my own guilt that actually it was three o'clock in the afternoon. I told them that I was going shopping and I sneaked into the pub knowing that I was going to meet her at five um, after her work and that. And I thought, well, I've completely lied about where I am now just so I can get four or five under my belt before she turns up. Yeah. And it was the shame and sort of bad feeling I felt about myself. So a bit like when... You say when we're out and that we're justifying our drinking and it's so wrong, but it's a good way to be actually to look at the way you look at it is that to try and understand it and remember where we were back then as well. Yeah, I always try and put myself back in that headspace because I think otherwise I'd, I would take it very personally. <laughs> yeah. So what point um, did you start to question your relationship with alcohol? I think I'd always sort of questioned it when I used to have the most horrendous hangovers and used to do stupid stuff. I mean, we've all said I'm never drinking again, but there were a lot of points where I seriously considered it. And I mean, I remember even one point at uni, I did 40 days of no drinking for Lent because I just knew that it was getting a bit out of hand, but that didn't stop me carrying on for another five years. I think I was always, I always knew my relationship with alcohol didn't really look like my friends. They didn't used to suffer the way I did, or they didn't black out. Like I used to, they used to say, oh, do you not remember what you did last night? And I'd say, no. And they, they couldn't understand it. They'd never blacked out in their lives. They'd be like, well, you really don't remember? And I'd be like, no, I genuinely have no recollection. So I kind of always knew that it didn't look like everyone else's. And then when I was about 24, 25, I went through a relationship breakup, which was a six year relationship. And I just went headfirst into like going out all the time and getting absolutely hammered because, you know, as like a, a young 20 something woman, that's how you're told that you get over heartbreak is like, go out, get really pissed, get your dancing shoes on. Um, and I always say like Geordie Shaw was massive when I was younger. And that was, you know, all about going out, getting mortal and being really raucous. 
So I just did that for like a period of a year and I really just noticed the effect that it was having on my mind. And the next day I would be so depressed, so upset, so anxious. And that would kind of stay with me for like four or five days. And then I'd just about feel better again. And I'd go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and get pissed again. And so I really started to notice that. And then it was a bit worrying you know like my family started to worry my mum was forever worried that I was gonna like fall on a train track and die or there were loads of times I couldn't remember how I got home and my mum used to be like someone's just gonna take you kidnap you and like that's gonna be it so that was kind of when I really started to actually question it I think probably like 24 25. So how did you do it did you just stop or did you try another 30 days? So kind of all throughout that period I like did I mean, dry January used to be called dryathlon. I did a dryathlon once. Um, but then I I always think this was fate. So I was on the tube to work um, in, I think it was probably about Christmas time. And I read a copy. I was really hungover as well, I should add. I read a copy of Stylist magazine. And in it, there was an interview with Catherine Gray. And it was talking about her new book that was coming out in January, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And I read the interview and I thought, God, I really resonate with that. Like, maybe I should read that book. And I took a picture of the article and then didn't do anything about it. And it got to February 2018 and I went out on a big night out. Uh, I literally don't remember hardly any of it. My friends told me the next day all the embarrassing things I'd done. And I just woke up feeling like ashamed and like sick and tired. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should download that audiobook. So the worst anxiety, I downloaded it and just listened to Catherine for like, eight solid hours on a hangover and it was like the first time in my life that anyone had ever positioned sobriety as a positive thing and it sounds really silly now but I only ever ever thought this will be the death of my social life no one will want to hang out with me I'll be miserable all the time it never crossed my mind it was something I could do fully and she just made it like sounds so appealing so after that day I was like I'm never drinking again and then yeah it'll be four years in Feb so I mean it goes to show what messages people put out there how it can change your whole life and I I had Catherine on my podcast a couple of weeks ago actually and it was like talking to a, a friend that I've known for 20 years you know and she was so down to earth and even though she's got a new puppy that was chewing a bone in the background <laughs> uh, and, and it was just like a, such a lovely lovely chat and she's got her new book sunshine warm sober out as well isn't she yeah um which is amazing because um we'll go on to that a bit later about the second phase of sobriety because i find the first year is spent learning so much about yourself and who your friends are and um also learning about the false beliefs of alcohol you know, what you just said about uh, how am I meant to socialise without it? And some people are like, oh, I won't be able to get to sleep if I don't have a drink. And um, how can I sort out my anxiety if I can't have that glass of wine after work? And quite often you find everything's the opposite of what you thought when you were drinking, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think that first year, like you're tackling so many firsts as well. So you do like your first sober Christmas maybe do like a first sober day maybe like all of these different things that you have to tackle so that year is just fully a learning experience I think yeah it is and I I found my second year completely different but when when you reached a year did you struggle a little bit after that because there's always landmark issues and for me I remember I went to the real kombucha factory in the Cotswolds in the morning it was so lovely but I 
I'd um, ruptured my Achilles tendon and I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I could hardly walk. And then I went to go to the brew dog bar in London that just opened. And my day really started to decline because I was tired and I was getting lots of love on Instagram and that. And two or three days later, I kind of had a bit of a slump and it. I felt, what's next then? Because it... I suppose it's a bit like when we have a baby and it's a big build-up and then you go home after and it's screaming and crying in the night and, and you're left on your own. And I felt like that when just after my year. Did you struggle at all? Yeah, I think I definitely... I've had several dips, I would say. Like, one was about six, seven months in. And that is when I'd been doing the whole thing, like, on my own. I hadn't spoken about sobriety on Instagram at all. I didn't, it wasn't really a thing then. Um, and I kind of realized that I needed support because I just didn't know anyone else not drinking. And although my friends were like really amazing, they just didn't get it because I was like, oh, do you want to talk about non-alcoholic wines? Or has anyone got a, a top tip for me to go on a sober date? And like no one could really help with that. So my first dip was kind of that six, seven month milestone. And I was like, right, I need to actually meet other people and I need to have help. And then I think there was that like year, year and a half phase because I think like you say that with that first year it is all a learning curve so I think you put so much energy into staying sober learning about alcohol like navigating all those things that you did before that I think then you get to that point where actually you're like okay I've done all that now what's next and then I think that's when you really start putting your energy into things possibly like outside of sobriety like new hobbies new experiences traveling new passions new career I think the first year is just like okay how do I get through this year let me just get through this and all your energy is concentrating on that and then I think after that you have to reposition it as more like okay now how do I make my world bigger and how do I fill it with things now that alcohol has been taken out of the equation yeah you you have to find other things but also what you've got to remember is that in the first year, you're you having to deal with emotions, aren't you? Like yeah. where we've been blunting them for all those years. And, and I kind of struggled with that a little bit. So I learned to park them. Um, so I concentrated on how to fill my time, how to get over my cravings. But it was a journey. And I mean, for me, um, having my social media was such a help for me. I tried AA and that just didn't work for me. It just didn't feel right. Yeah. That's all I've got to say. Um, so I started posting on social media and really pretty quickly, actually, I was getting messages saying, I can really relate to what you're saying, Dave. And I think for me, because of my age, uh, an older man, you know, six foot lump covered in tattoos. It was quite <laughs> rare, I suppose. You know? Yeah, you definitely filled a much needed niche on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think because I'm not afraid of talking about my feelings and the ups and downs, people like real, don't they? It's not all bang, banging the drums and bells and whistles. And, you know, there are some down moments just like life. And I talked about that. And, and that's when I've had the most impact, I think. And so for you, like when you say you, you didn't say a lot for six months, is that when you decided to launch Sober Girl Society then? Yeah, because I, I <laughs> it was me trying to fill something that I felt like I needed because I looked on Instagram and I followed lots of 
pages at the time for like girls my age that had kind of like a shared cause so there was like anti-diet riot club that like focused on body positivity and there was like the insecure girls club that you know talked about women and insecurities and I thought wow wouldn't it be great if there was something that I could find that was like women talking about alcohol and I searched and I searched and I found some amazing places it was like club soda and one year no beer and they were all running but they just didn't feel like the exact right fit for me so I thought, okay, well, if it's not out there, then maybe I start it. So with very little knowledge of Instagram at that point, I just started a page and thought, you know, maybe like 10, 15 of us will find each other and that will be that and didn't realise what would happen. It exploded, didn't it? It yeah. exploded. Yeah, and from the beginning as well, and with very little, like, pushing, like I didn't really, oh. I wasn't actively trying to, like, promote the page. It just, people just ended up coming to it. I was like, I don't know where you're all coming from. I know, and and you know what it is sad for me really is that I see so many men trying to do the same, and they launch their pages. Um, let's talk about mental health, or, or or along those lines, and they never quite go the same way. And I remember Scott, your wonderful friend Scott. Yeah, um, bestie. He did the talk, didn't he? That um, I appeared on um, with Darren, the personal trainer, Timmy Essex. Yeah. And it it was such an um, eye-opening experience to be able to talk about the struggles men have, talking about their feelings um, and the different problems they have when they s- decide to stop drinking. And, you know, I mean, Darren told us a story, didn't he, about his friend who died. Yeah. Um, and it was a typical situation that I've been many a time where you're coming trashed and you're raiding the freezer for pizzas and that. And his friend was laying face down and said, leave me, I'm fine, I'm knackered and that. And when he got up in the morning, he had died, hadn't he? And mm. it's things like this that had really affected Darren and, and struggled to talk about it. And And when I look at... Men in our sober community, it, it's so very few that open themselves up to have conversations. And like I've said before, they curtain twitch my account. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, uh, my followers are 87% women. Yeah. 13% men. And I know that's quite normal, I think. But I never really have men interact a lot on my account. It's always a DM. Yeah really feel there's a niche there and and it's difficult to know how to do it because you can't force men to come out and and talk openly and that i i do support them but i think there's a niche of younger men that are more open now yeah there's and there's a lot of um like men on their own younger men talking on their accounts about not drinking people like spence matthews don mcgregor chris wills they all talk about it but there isn't like a central hub which is is quite a shame but and I think the way that often it is positioned is more of like oh it's a productivity tool or it will like enhance your life I don't think many men are necessarily talking about it from like a mental health perspective or like an alcohol dependency perspective which I think is is quite interesting in itself yeah it is um but I'm someone that I'm hoping that I can talk for all ages because you know I did that talk with Sarah Drage in the college the other day and um I kind of had to hit it from an angle that they would relate from an older man like someone who's old enough to be their dad I didn't want to be preachy on the stage and you don't do this but 
So, and the two groups were completely different. One was like a sports group in the afternoon. And I hit them with the fact that I was a semi-pro footballer when I was their age. So fitness was really key for me. But we also didn't have the knowledge that we know now about alcohol. And the teachers at the end came over and they said, do you know what? You could hear a pin drop. Yeah. So that was either petrified of me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you terrified them. Yeah, or, or they were actually listening. And to be honest, Sarah smashed it as well because her story about her, her dad, Steve, as well was so... It's like she she had been public speaking forever. She was so good. But I came away from there and I thought, Do you know what, education is so key these days. And by us speaking out, just having conversations about alcohol and the, and the stigma, the shame, the false beliefs... You know, the the physical, mental health things to do with alcohol is so important. And I think that's where social media is a real positive. Oh, 100%. I think social media has its downsides, but I can name a thousand positive things that have happened to me because of social media and connecting with people. And like some of my best friends I have made through social media and through not drinking. So like there's so many positives that I could name for it. Yeah, and I know some of them as well. I mean, little Emily, Jesus. I mean, I said to her and Rachel, I cannot imagine what you were like when you were drinking because you're you're crazy now. When we get together, we're like, it's lucky we did not know each other because one of us would die on a night out because we would all encourage each other. Like, I think it's the best thing that we didn't meet as drinking. I I know, but I agree with you. You know, I've got more friends now than I've never had in my whole life, but they're all lovely. They're all genuine, always checking on me, but genuinely checking on me. Like, I thought about you today, Dave, just wondering how you are. Not, um, Dave, fancy going on a piss Saturday. Yeah. (laughs) It makes you feel so special because even like us, you know, we meet at events and whatever, and it's like we've known each other forever, you know, and it's, we met at the Redemption Bar. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, yeah. I was late. Um, because I thought it was half past six and it was six and I was <laughs> flustered and I had a non-alcoholic beer that I put behind you and then you flung round and you went, Dave! <laughs> oh, I had tipped over and was tipping down the back of your trousers. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure I like how my accent is coming across here. <laughs> oh, I'll reframe that. Dear. <laughs> But it's things like that. Was, you know, we were we were making some mocktails, weren't we? Yeah. And it was such a fun experience. And I've met so many amazing people. But I've just thought of something actually. Then this Christmas is my fourth sober event. And I'm I think you've come to one, have you, or none? Might be none. <laughs> none. Right, okay. Well, there's still Mark some... me down for this year. <laughs> so after Sober Girls Society, you, you went solo and you launched your camp, Millie Gooch. Yes. Now, I remember you saying something about being slightly fed up, talking about sobriety. And someone said that to me two days ago or something. They said, do you ever get fed up talking about it? And it took me half an hour, I suppose, to really let that question sink in. And the answer was no, right? But <laughs> No, you that surprised you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's my life now. So at my stage of life, I've completely changed career. And I must admit, it I've kind of swapped one addiction for the other because I I just literally were hours and hours and hours in this newfound career of mine. But 
I, I think my wife gets fed up with it. She says <laughs> to me, I just want Dave back. All I see is sober Dave. You know? Yeah. So for you as a younger person, did you get to a stage that you just thought, you know what, where's the real Millie Gooch here? Or, or where were you with that? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like fed up because when I speak, like I could, we could do this podcast for like five hours and I'm sure I'd be more than happy to talk about it. It was more the issue that it became like my fully defining thing. Like I felt like I totally lost my identity in just being like Millie the sober person or and people even started referring to me as Sober Girl Society and I was like that's not my name that's like the thing I run and I just you know that I've got so many other passions in life and I come from like a journalism background and like writing for me is like my thing and I mean really when I started Sober Girl Society I was like writing about sobriety it was like the next thing that I wanted to write about but I didn't want it to become my entire identity and something really stuck with me I went on a hen do a few months ago and the um bride well, no it wasn't a few it was about a year ago now the bride's sister uh said to the bride and the bride passed this feedback on to me and said oh she said that you were a lot more fun than she thought you were gonna be and I said well what did she think I was gonna be and she was like oh I think she just thought you know because because you're sober and and you talk about it all the time that maybe you'd be like preachy or telling other people not to drink and I was like well, no like that isn't what it's like at all and I was like oh god like people are getting this perception of me that I am this like awful preachy person about sobriety and I was like and that's not what I want to be and I still absolutely love talking about it I still help anyone and I still love running sober society and doing the events but I think the focus is now kind of off me as in like I don't really talk about my story I do when I talk on podcasts and things like that but I find it really hard to just keep going over the same ground all the time about my story why I started drinking and like my drinking career was very like fast and short it was like eight years so when I was at 18 to 26 now I've been out of it for four years so I've nearly been like I've been sober more like longer than I have been a drinker so I just didn't want it to define me anymore like it's not it's not that I'm fed up with talking about it because I could go on a talking spree about it for hours and hours and I'm very happy to talk to anyone about it I just didn't really want it to become my defining thing anymore well I'm glad you said you're happy talking about it otherwise I'd have to edit the first half an hour (laughs) Jesus but I hope in a way that that is I don't don't want I would rather that comes across as inspirational that like people now because I was so into drinking it was my entire personality I was Millie the piss head party girl I was the friend that you drink if you wanted a good time and now it's so little part of my life like I hope that people can see that at one point like it might feel like the scariest most awful decision now but at one point it will become so normal that you'll actually be kind of over it so like I hope that that comes in a good way it does and I'm over it I mean I had a tricky couple of weeks a couple of months ago with a lot of things and out of anything that would have been the time that I would have probably thought you know what I'm gonna drink and I didn't even think of it yeah honestly it's so ingrained in my life now and I think that's where I throw myself so much into everything that I've formed this whole new lifestyle, you know, life change. And and that's really helped me because I think if I did it on my own, I think I would struggle a lot more with that. Yeah. Um, so I hear you and you're a lot younger as well. And I think there's so many people in their 20s now and 30s that are choosing that lifestyle cho- choice. My son's 27 and we went to see Ricky Gervais at the Palladium the other night. and. Um, Everyone was drinking 
And I was thinking, God, if that was me, I'd really struggle after going in there to keep getting up, going back to the bar if that was open. Yeah. But me and George, we had like a, a Coke each and that was it. So he didn't think, oh, I'll have a couple of beers before we go in there. He's not bothered. Yeah. You know, he's really not bothered. And a lot of his friends aren't as well. And there's a lot of people like Katie McNichol that's been on the podcast. She's 25, 26. She's not drinking. Ben Robinson, he's not drinking, he's 28, I think. So I think there's a whole new flow of people coming through that are choosing it as a lifestyle choice rather than people my age where they've been drinking. I was trying to work out, actually, when you said I've, I've been sober more than I was drinking. I'd be long time dead if that was me. <laughs> But this is why you're not bored of talking about it, because you've got such a big breadth of your life drinking and you've probably got a million more stories than I do. So it's not like you're talking about the same thing because you've got like 40 years to cover. I've got 40 years, but also kind of cover a different age group, don't I? So I've always said, and and I, I think it's important that you're never, ever too old to change your life because... It would be easy for me at 50, I was 54 when I stopped. It would have been easy for me to think, do you know what? I've been drinking 40 years. What's the point? Yeah. And then start saying, I only have a few beers with the lads and, you know, it's not a real problem. But I knew it was a real problem. It, my, everything was being compromised. You know, my marriage, my health was just disgraceful. And I came to a crossroads where I thought, where am I going to be in five years? I could be dead easily you know so I it's the best thing I've ever done it really is and there are ups and downs but I I could talk forever about all the benefits of it and it would take me five minutes to talk about the bits the the FOMO and and what we like talking about is the JOMO JOMO yeah I'm a big fan of JOMO is that actually a song that you've written no, that was just a catchy jingle I came up with. Oh, no. <laughs> so then you've written a book, a handbook. Yes. Talk to me. Oh, do you know what? So there was so much amazing Quitlet out there. There is so much amazing Quitlet out there. But when I, and I read it all at the start, I read everything. And there was just a couple of things that I thought were missing in the kind of sphere. One, or that, that I wanted to kind of read about. One was that I didn't think there was anything aimed at anyone under 30. That was like my first thing. Everything I read was by someone 30 or over. Um, and there were just bits that I didn't relate to. I couldn't like relate to parenting and things like that um the second was I didn't think many of them really covered mental health in the way that I kind of experienced it so like that real beer fear anxiety blackouts how you know alcohol affects your mental health on a longer scale and not just the night after and then the third one was I I couldn't really find a lot of like there was so much that was talking about the process of giving up alcohol and that kind of thing but there wasn't a lot that talked about how you could do all the things when you're sober so you know I wanted tips for how do I go on a sober date how do I go to a sober wedding what do I do if I go to a festival like and I couldn't find that really practical like okay here's some really good tips that have really helped me so those are like the three things that I really wanted to incorporate into the book. And that is kind of like the whole premise really is that it's just a really practical handbook. And it is, to be honest, less about the process of quitting drinking and more how to live like an amazing sober life. That was the focus that I wanted. So 
yeah, I wrote that, came out in January. An updated edition is coming out in December with a new chapter on harm reduction, moderation and mindful drinking. Well, there's a plug for you, darling. <laughs> is it? We'll put that in the show notes. No, it's great. And I have got it actually in my collection. Uh, it's such a great book, honestly. And, and it's so important to have a variety, isn't it? Because we've got like William Porter, our friend, good old William, who's yeah, actually will. called Sam. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember when I found that out. It blew my mind. <laughs> I know, but it was funny. I love him so much because he's so, he's so intelligent and that, but he can be so silly at times. He's <laughs> it. I thought everyone had a different name when um, they wrote a book. It's like, <laughs> no, you just plucked it out of nowhere. Do you know what I mean? But, um, and, and one of my favourite books as well is um, Professor David Nutt's book, Drink. Yeah. Because I get fascinated about the science of it and, and the neurotransmitters. And I've just recently had a DNA test and not the ones where um, it's finding out who my lost uncle from Gambia is. It, it's to do with my biological makeup. And they found out, actually, that one of my dopamine receptors doesn't work. Oh. It's, it's actually faulty. And there's a high chance that is why I drank like I did, because I was a really, really fast drinker. And I wasn't getting that long-term dopamine hit from drinking. It was very short-lived. And that's why my nickname was Glugs, because I could down seven, eight, nine pints in, in an hour and a half easily. Yeah. You know? I want to get this test. Where'd you get it? I will send you details, but it's it's a full test. And uh, they also said, which M, my wife, was nodding her head going, yeah, it's that actually naturally I'm half empty. My glass is half empty. That Because my serotonin levels are naturally really low yeah so I have to work hard to boost my serotonin levels to feel like maybe you might feel when you get up in the morning yeah you're full of beans I'm getting up and I'm putting my hands through my head wondering how I'm going to get for the day you know and I I know that I come across on Instagram as super positive in that but I'm real as well you know, but see, I think I'm more like you I have to really work to be positive like and and I never if I wake up in the morning I could sleep forever on I, I, I never wake up like less take on the day I have to get out and have to be like right what am I going to do to yeah. get myself to where I need to be it's it's really interesting actually and it worked I was really deficient on vitamin d mm, we should all take vitamin d that's a one yeah. they say we should take yeah, uh, and I, I bought this spray. Um, it was 2,000 milligrams, I think, and you just spray it under your tongue. Yeah. It just boosts your vitamin D. And it, it's literally a full breakdown of what I was like, and it helps me understand myself, but it also helps me to be able to boost things like we all need magnesium when we stop drinking because we're depleting that, and magnesium creams a lot better than the supplements, and you find these things out you would never think of before. Yeah. And for me... It was mainly because I was trashing myself that much. I thought I was clapped out anyway. I thought yeah. there's no point. But when I stopped, it, it's I realised the importance of nutrition, how how that helped me to repair myself and and to sleep properly. How important a good night's sleep is. And you know, in the beginning, you really struggle, and and you're like laying there thinking, well, normally I go to sleep straight away after a few drinks, but that's not normal sleep, is it? No, you don't get the REM sleep. If you, oh, that's yeah. it. But once that starts kicking in and you wake up in the morning, say after 
couple of three weeks and that, and your weight is like, oh my god. And even this cold that I've had has made me realise actually how healthy I feel most days. Yeah, yeah. I felt like that cold times ten every single day when I was drinking because of the amount I was drinking, but I was just topping up. I was never allowing myself repair. Um, yeah. And it, I could never go back to that. I think about that with hangovers. Like when I wake up on a Sunday and I feel so fresh, I'm like the last thing I would want to be yeah. today is hangover. And I've often talked about um, some of the times you drink more when you shouldn't have done. And it's not like when you've got a hard day's work the next day, it's when you've got a day off and you think, I've got tomorrow off so I can... Get pissed tonight. Yay. Yeah. But then I used to I deliberately up. not put stuff in in my on like a Sunday so that I could get as trashed as possible. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's so crazy. And now I get up and I've planned something for the day and I'm fresh-ish, not compared to you at 30 years old, but <laughs> I do my best. But, um, you know, my mind's clear. I'm not worrying about the night before, what I've said. Me and Emma are normally in a good place, normally. Sorry, Em. Um, <laughs> you know, and and I just when people ask me the question, do you think you will ever drink again? The answer is no, and I honestly don't think I will. I don't. Yeah, I say that, and then people say never say never, and I'm like, but genuinely, like my life has only changed in positive ways. I cannot think of a single thing that would draw me enough back to drinking. Like I just don't. And I've been through some really like crappy times over like the four years that I've not been drinking, and. I'm so grateful to have got through all of them sober. I just don't think there's anything now that could that could push me back. I think I've been through it all. <laughs> yeah, I know. And when you write it down, what the benefits are, it's normally an hour's worth, isn't it? it yeah. It, like the the short period before when you think, oh, I can have a drink at six. There's a little dopamine spike. And then you have the drink. Then there's the next dopamine spike. And then half an hour, an hour later, when you're half bottled down and then – you're thinking, oh, God, I'll probably drink the rest of that now. Me, it would have been three. But it's the, the hamster wheel of going round and round and round. And this is why I say it's so important to wind the clock forward and think, actually, for that hour, is it worth it? You know, it's not. And, and what are the benefits that I've got in my life now? And, you know, when you talk about mental health, the anxiety that dropped in my life was, it was almost immediate. Yeah, I think you have, like, there's two for me there was like the first immediate drop of anxiety which was the like not blacking out so I could remember all my night because like that used to give me like the fear of what did I do what did I say you get that initial kind of drop then there was that like six months of learning kind of who you are again and navigating emotions and and, and during that period as well then I it kind of really helped me work on that stuff as well. So if I used to wake up and I was anxious, because I was still like recovering from the week before, I, you know, wouldn't get outside. I wouldn't see friends. I'd, I'd not want to look at my phone. Whereas now I'm really equipped when I do feel anxious and I do still struggle with anxiety is that I feel like I've got the tools in place and know what I need to do and have the clarity and the energy to be able to do that, to be like, right, you need to get outside for an hour, just go for a walk, or you need to call a friend. Whereas when I was drinking, even if it wasn't the immediate aftermath, I, I feel like because I was always like recovering or tired or looking forward to the next drink, I never actually went out and did all those things that I do now to kind of quell that anxiety. Is there anything you found out about yourself that surprised you? Um, do you know what? Not necessarily like found out about myself, but found out about 
all of us in general is that like we give so much credit to alcohol for things that it really doesn't deserve and like I always used to think that that first drink would help me settle into a social occasion you know when you get there and you go oh I've just got to get a drink and then I calm down and now because I've been to so many events that don't involve alcohol I think you get like an hour in and you're like wow everyone is so chatty and having a really good time and it's really buzzy I always used to think oh, it's the alcohol, but it's actually just getting comfortable in situations. And the alcohol has nothing to do with that. You just naturally as a human settle in. So I think, you know, what I've learned about myself is that actually I, I will probably struggle for the first like 10, 15 minutes of any social situation because it's abnormal. And then I will settle into it. And there doesn't need to be drink involved in that. It's just human nature that you take a while to get comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So I think, that was one big thing. I think another thing I learned is that I'm not actually as much of a party person as I thought. I used to think, you know, I'm my ultimate raver. And now it just doesn't make me happy. And don't get me wrong, I still love a night out. But it gets like one o'clock and I'm like, I'm done. Let's go home now. Like I used to think I was like 6am, stay till the very end. So I figured that out about myself. Well, that could be an age thing, Millie. It could, it could also be an age thing. I do think <laughs> I that. I don't think that. Um, I think what I found out about myself was that I'm I'm uh, a lot quieter than what I thought I was. No, not you. <laughs> yes, yes. I would be that lad that would go into a pub and put his arms up in the air and say, Dave is here. Let's get drunk <laughs> in that. But I I value my time alone a lot more now. Yeah. You know, I really do. And in fact, uh, I'm going to a retreat soon, three days where there's no um, Wi-Fi or anything. And um, into- Oh, I'm doing that. Is it unplugged? Yeah. Yes, I'm doing that next week. When are you going? Oh, I'm going the end of the month. So you'll yeah. have to tell me. But um, yeah, it's what I want to do. I really want to get in touch with myself and think, right, you know, it's important for me because there's so much stuff going on around me. It's It's literally manic, you know, and I thought... It just really made me light up when I heard about it. And um, three nights away. Are you going on your own? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, we'll have to stay in touch and you can t- tell me or not. About yeah, <laughs> as if I come back. It's a yeah, 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 yeah. And you get a map and a compass. And um, I think there's a pub half an hour away. So I thought I'm going to go there lunchtime rather than in the evening so I could hunker down in the afternoon. And I've got a few things that I'm working on myself. And I thought, you know what, it'd give me the real ideal opportunity to to block everything out, uh, sit with nature and just really, really unwind and get in touch with myself, you know, like just to look deep about my past and what I've been through and that will help me probably with my upcoming project. That Oh, exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, like this podcast, it was just random out the blue. Em said to me, she came out of the bathroom once, right? And said, I think I might do a podcast. And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. I might do one too, actually. And about five weeks later, episode one, season one came out. <laughs> and I've ended up It's literally, it's just come out of nowhere. And I, I love doing it so much and you know like just chatting to you on here I could as you said earlier I could talk to you five hours and yeah. just but I think people would probably get bored by then but we wouldn't we could do a sponsored one for our yeah. change we could do a 24 hour podcast yeah. about you know that's a good idea actually that's a good <laughs> idea because you're an ambassador as well aren't you I am yeah we could do that and then people can come in and out and we can just have a 24 hour chat 
24 hour live or pocket. Yeah, that's a fantastic. I don't know why I've agreed to this. I can't stay up longer than like 12 hours. But I'll oh, give it a I, good I go. I go to bed late when I'm past eight at the moment. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but you know, there's something in that. So maybe people listening to this can agree to sponsor us and yeah. they will get lots of information. Yeah, well, they're doing their, their challenge for alcohol awareness week. So maybe. After this, yeah. we'll have a conversation. Um, I'm going to try and do some... Uh, me and Emma have made a film for that as well. To oh, help, have you? Yeah, to help couples dealing with alcohol problems and that. Okay. So we made that a couple of weeks ago and we're panicking a bit because we were both awake from about four in the morning and uh, the guy turned up with a camera quit. No makeup. Where's the makeup, darling? Where's the makeup? Well, isn't it? It's just... <laughs> it's like, Jesus. <laughs> but anyway... So, so what's in the future for you then? Oh, so I'm currently looking into book two. Oh. And that's, so that's actually what I'm going to work on while I'm at Unplugged. So oh. I'm going to have three days of like really... No, that's a good idea, really. Yeah, so that's going to be the concept. So that's like the big thing. But then in the background, also loads of good stuff with Silver Girls Side too. So we're going to carry on the events. I want to get across the UK because COVID had like really put a stop to a lot of our plans. So next year, we're going to do Manchester and Liverpool. We've already got plans for. And then hopefully across the UK for the rest of the year. That's like the events are just my favourite thing in the world. Like social media is great and everything like that. But just seeing people in real life and, you know, watching other people meet people who are in the same boat as them. I just I cry after every event because I'm like, I can't believe I organised this and people have made friends. It's just too much for my brain to cope with. So that's like, yeah, the big thing for next year is just carry on with the events and then do some more writing, hopefully book two. Oh, well, that's amazing. And that's a great place to go to... um... Think about your second book because you can yeah. uh, have all that peace and quiet. Get lost in a field with your map and compass. Oh, I'm so bad at directions, Dave. If I come back, it'll be a miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be a search party out. But look, yeah. mate, it's been a, honestly a real, real joy talking to you. Thank you so much. And uh, oh, my you. my thing, my Christmas parties at the where you had yours. You know where it is the oh yeah yeah hotel. Come along, it's December the 11th. I'd love to see you there. I'll be there with a Christmas hat on. Yay! <laughs> I'll give you a I'm actually like free that. that day, I think, so we'll actually read that. Yeah, well, we're tall. We're tall. All right. Thank All right. you so much, Millie. Lovely to see you, and I'll see Thank you soon. See you later. Bye. 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 I hope you have enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. One for the Road can be found on all the usual podcast platforms. And now you can subscribe to my new platform on Patreon, where you can watch the live, unedited video recordings. And you also get two bonus podcasts per month. The link is on my show notes. You can also find me on Instagram at SoberDave. And please don't forget to subscribe. And if you get a chance, please leave a review. Until then, have a great week and see you next time.